We come now to a, a new section in Mark that involves a number of dramatic happenings. There's the calming of a furious storm, a powerful exorcism, and then a, a dead daughter is raised from the grave. And then surprisingly, these three stories are followed by the rejection of Jesus in his hometown. So the section uh, starts at the end of chapter 4 going through to the beginning of chapter 1 and in it we see Jesus' power over nature, power over demons, power over death and then rejection. And for those of us who know Jesus, we know that this is the way of Christ. Now, though many of us are familiar with these dramatic stories that will be unfolded over the next few weeks, our challenge is to dig deeper, to not be satisfied with surface explanations, but to answer that question that Mark is asking us all the time through his gospel, and that question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? So it's my prayer that at the end of this service you will know something more of Christ that he will become more real to you, especially as we have and come to the waters of baptism. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, as, as we come to the baptism, Lord, we pray that we will meet Jesus afresh in this wonderful story of him calming the storm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus calming the storm. Uh, think back for a moment. If you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard a message on this miracle. So think back. Um, what do you remember was told about this message? Uh, maybe you've led a Bible study. Maybe you've come across it in a daily devotion. And how was it approached? Well, often the approach goes something like this. When we go through the toughest of trials or the worst of circumstances, do not fear because Jesus is in the boat with us and he will calm the worst of your storms. Have you heard that before? Yeah, I have. It's a great message, isn't it? And it's one that we can really take home. However, is this the only reason why Mark included it in his gospel, that we may know that Jesus is in our worst storm with us? If it is, we might as well all agree and go home early. Well, some of you are nodding your head quite vigorously there. But actually, that's not the main reason why Mark included this story in the gospel. It's an important lesson for us to learn, but it's secondary. And so let's dig deep into this story to see what the gospel is trying to tell us this morning. And so we start in Mark chapter 4 from verse 35. Jesus calms the storm. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, if we look back to the beginning of chapter 4, where Jesus starts his day, we see that the crowds were so great that he had to go into a boat just offshore in like a, a floating pulpit. And through the day, Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And we saw those four parables and we've looked at them over the last couple of Sundays. But now it's evening and a decision needs to be made about where they're going to stay. So Jesus decides, well, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now, an evening sail, a bit of a challenge at the best of times. But out of the disciples, there are at least four experienced fishermen who know the lake and who know boats. So they up anchor and soon leave the crowds. And things go well, until, verse 37. 
a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. With an economy of words, Mark paints a picture of a mighty storm. And there's a sense that this is not a common squall, but one that's intense, life-threatening, furious, so much so that water crashes over the edges of the boat faster than the disciples can bail. And so they fear. They fear for their lives. But while fishermen, the experienced sailors, are threatened by the storm, where is Jesus, the carpenter, the landfearer, the non-sailor? Well, we find in verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So Jesus is sleeping. How so? I mean, how can he sleep through all this commotion? How can he sleep when lives are threatened? Well, he is exemplifying someone who trusts completely in God, whose confidence is 100% in his heavenly Father. And this is uh, shown to us in Proverbs 3.23. Now, this lovely three verses here describes someone who completely trusts God. And it goes from verse 23, Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. That's what Jesus is doing there. He is so confident, so relaxed, knowing that God will be looking after them, that his sleep is sweet. And he rests while the storm rages. And as I was reading of this sleeping Jesus and fearful disciples, I was reminded of another story in the Bible. Another furious storm, another man of God asleep, and another bunch of fearful sailors. Do you know the story in the Old Testament that I'm thinking of? There's a few smiles. Yeah, Jonah. I mean, how can you not think of Jonah when you're reading this story? Remember the story of Jonah. Jonah's a prophet and God says, go to the capital of the worst of the enemies of the Jewish nation and go and preach. And Jonah says, no. And he runs a mile. In fact, he runs in the opposite direction, gets on a ship that's sailing to the opposite ends of the known world. And he's so exhausted from running from God that he falls asleep. And then a mighty storm catches up. And these experienced sailors fear for their lives. So much so that while he's sleeping, the captain wakes him up. Jonah chapter 1 verse 6. The captain says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will notice us and we will not perish. And Jonah wakes up and lots are cast and he is chosen. And the sailors say, why is a storm upon us? And Jonah confesses that he's running away from God. And they say, what must we do? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. But the sailors are better men than Jonah. And they say, no, we will not throw you over. And they try and rescue the boat until finally they have no choice. And then Jonah chapter 1 verse 15. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Jonah's story, the experienced sailors noticed that they are more fearful in the calm than they were in the storm. 
So, with that comparison on the back of our mind, let's go back to Mark, where we also see fearful disciples waking up a sleepy prophet. Though it's not a wayward prophet, Jesus is the true and the better prophet. So what will Jesus do? Maybe he'll throw Peter overboard, work for Jonah. Actually, it would be more strategic to throw Judas overboard, wouldn't it? That would save him a lot of problems. But Jesus decides on a different tack. Verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And it's staggering, isn't it? Calm as you like is the sea still. And Jesus didn't raise his voice. Calm, be still. Yes, it was firm. No shouting or screaming. The wind and the waves obeyed, and it becomes like a mill pond. Now for a bit of a telling off. Verse 40. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? It's like Jesus is saying, you've seen miracle after miracle. You've seen my healings and casting out demons and still you have no faith. For of course the disciples should never have been afraid because of who they had in the boat with them. But instead of being reassured by Jesus' words, instead of being comforted by the calm, what happens? Well, their fear intensifies. Instead of moving from fear to calm, they move, well, verse 41. They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They move from fear to terror. They are more afraid in the calm than in the storm. Now, why was that? Well, the whole idea of Jesus was being disrupted. They are disorientated. They thought they had Jesus pegged as the Messiah who preaches the kingdom, who heals the sick and casts out demons. They thought Jesus was amazing, but just a man, a good man, a unique man, a man anointed and chosen by God, but Jesus was just a man, but no more. They can't hold this opinion, this option any longer. It's blown out of the water. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? Well, he can't be just a man. And that's what the disciples are trying to get their heads around. Here is someone who said, quiet, be still, and the waves became very calm and the wind stopped, and only God can do that. And if this is no longer an option for the disciples, it's no longer an option for you and I. I mean, how many people do we know when we talk about Jesus, it comes up in the conversation and they are quick to say, he's a good man. A nice man, a good man who did nice things and did lovely, yeah, he was just a lovely man. And some folk might know the Sermon on the Mount and they might know that he did some healings, but they'll say he was a good man and that's all. But here on the lake, as we stand beside the disciples and there is a great calm, option, Yes, Jesus. Jesus was more than a good man. He was more than a carpenter. He was more than a teacher. He was more than a prophet. Jesus is divine. And we see this clearly laid out in other parts of the Bible. After the resurrection, in in various parts of the New Testament, we see the divinity of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him, through whom he made the universe. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Christ is more than a good man. He is divine. No wonder he can calm the fiercest of storms. Colossians 1.15 Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by and for him. He is be all things, he is before all things, and all things in him hold together. Amazing, isn't it? Jesus, more than a carpenter. And our final verse showing the divinity of Christ, there are more, but John 1.14, the word, that's Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is divine, and we are filled with awe, even fear, when we stand before Christ, the risen Lord. And now Mark does something most frustrating. He finishes his story. He leaves us hanging. He breaks off with the disciples, terrified. What happens next? And then they ask this question, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So we don't know the answer to the question either. Mark's playing with us. He's leaving us hanging and he's doing it on purpose. And so we're just going to spend a little bit of time exploring these two issues, these two threats to our sanity really when it comes to this. is How did they move from terror to faith? And also, did they answer the question, who is this? So, do the disciples move from terror to faith? They're scared, witless in the calm in the boat with Jesus, and the story stops. Well, as we read through the rest of the gospel, in chapter 5, there's the demon-possessed man in the tombs that's healed and the dead girl that's raised. We see the disciples' faith grow. They stumble, they muck up, but their faith grows. So we can be confident that they did move from terror to faith. But we can also see this in the story of Jonah. Let me explain. Mark is intentionally bringing out the similarities between Jonah's story and the calming of the storm. This is no coincidence. Mark is doing this on purpose. Let's see how. Both Jesus and Jonah are in a boat. Both storms are described in familiar terms. If you have a look at the description in in Jonah chapter 1, you'll see that the storm is described in similar terms to here in Mark chapter 4. Both boats are filled with people who are fearing for their lives. Both wake a sleeping prophet with very grumpy words. They don't wake them up gently. (laughs) Both storms are miraculously stilled and both stories conclude with the men being more terrified in the calm than in the storm. I mean, every feature of these two stories is the same except, and this is key, except Jonah is sacrificed in the storm. He is thrown into the deep And he satisfies the anger, the wrath of God, so that those in the boat could be saved. But in the story of the calming of the storm, Jesus is not thrown overboard. But are they really different at this point? For in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus explains that he is the ultimate Jonah, the true and the better Jonah, who is thrown into the ultimate deep for you and I. Matthew chapter 12 Verse 20, this is Jesus speaking. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, 
so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see how the story of Jonah is all the time pointing to the story of Christ and the cross. Jonah was thrown into the deep for his own sin, three days in the deep before being coughed up on shore. But the true and the better Jonah was thrown into the ultimate storm so that he could save the disciples and that he could save you and I. Three days in the grave before a glorious resurrection and our salvation. And it's because of this that we can move from fear to calm. Each one of us will one day will have to stand before a holy God. And it is good and right that we be filled with fear on that day, except Jesus paid the ultimate cost for us. It's because Christ was thrown overboard and for three days, not into the sea but into a tomb, and paid the price for us that we can move from terror to faith. And so, do the disciples, do they leave their terror behind? Well, yes, they do. They do when they meet the resurrected Jesus and they go on and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the same with us. We can put our fears behind, our terror behind, when we too meet the resurrected Jesus. That brings us to our second question. What is the answer to the question that the disciples ask themselves? Who is this? Well, as I mentioned before, we're all experts at listening to stories. We know from young age that once upon a time is always finished with they lived happily ever after. If you tell a story to a child and you miss that out, you're in trouble. Or if you're a parent and you try and skip a few pages, you're in trouble. Because kids know how stories go. We know how stories go. And so Mark is doing this on purpose. He is unsettling us. He knows when you tell a story well, there's that ah moment. He's robbing us of that to unsettle us so that we will leave the story and keep asking ourselves, well, who is Jesus? You see how he keeps us hanging? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him, and then nothing. Because Mark will not answer that question for us. All through this gospel, he's saying, who is Jesus? And he's challenging us to answer that question. He's saying, I've shown you his teaching, of showing you him calm the raging storm and, and, and healings and miracles. So who do you think Jesus is now? Is he a fraud? Is he deluded? Or is he the Son of God, the Messiah, the Divine? You make up your mind. And do you know that's how he finishes his Gospel? If we go to chapter 16, do you know how he finishes his Gospel? The woman come to the empty tomb. The stones rolled away and angels tell him that tell the ladies Jesus has been raised from the dead. And this is how he ends his gospel. Chapter 16, verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Finish. That's it. How does Mark end his gospel? With the woman hearing that Jesus is raised from the dead and terrified. That's it. Do you notice when you get to the end of your chapter 16, someone was so disturbed that they wrote an extra ending? Do you notice that? If you look, you'll see in all the Bibles that you read, you'll see that there's a, you know, I've got this very big clause in bracket saying, this is, this is the next bit. And it's a very appropriate ending. You know, it's very suitable and helpful, but it's not what Mark wrote. 
Mark worked. This is how, how he ended his story. The greatest story ever told. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. He does it at the end of chapter 4 with the calming of the storm and he does it here at the end of his gospel because he wants you to make up your mind, who is Jesus for me? He will not give you the answer. And this is the challenge for each one of us today as we come to the water of baptisms. You know, Zoe here is going to make a commitment to Jesus. In her mind, as she knows her own heart, she is saying, who do I think Jesus is? He is someone that I will give my life and follow as Lord. Now in a moment she's going to come and share a little of her testimony. But that's basically it. And you'll hear me ask you those vows and she will confess that Jesus is her Lord. And in the waters of baptism, we answer that question. Who is Jesus? This morning, in your heart of hearts, what is your answer? Really, you've only got three choices. Either he's a fraud, he's deluded, or he is who he says he is. Let's pray.